Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works podcast. We'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 212, Under Pressure Diagnostics with a Mobile Tech. This is sort of a bit of a continuation of the last one I just did in that it's, uh, it is a separate, different article. Uh, but again, he's talking specifically about some of the things that mobile technicians go through. So I thought this would be a, a good one for you to listen to. Hopefully you'll, you'll uh, find the same. Uh, again, this is from a trade magazine called Motor Edge. Uh, this one is written by John Rogers. And so uh, let's... Um, Let's get started. Uh, again, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn under Brad's Motor... Excuse me, I have the hiccups. Hopefully that goes away. Um, under Brad's Motor Works. So here we go. Under pressure diagnostics with a mobile tech. The job of a mobile diagnostic and programming technician requires making quick but accurate diagnostic decisions to be successful. Here are a few tips from within the trenches. Um, if I didn't mention it, this is, uh, again, uh, Motor Age, and John Rogers wrote the, uh, the article. So I, I think I'd already mentioned that, but what the heck. All right, here we go. Uh, it's going to be a 2006 GMC Acadia, and he's got it marked as Breathe Deeply. I got called in to look at a 2009 GMC Acadia 3.6 liter with 93,000 miles on the odometer that was experiencing a crank no-start symptom. The shop's initial, initial diagnosis was that the vehicle was overfueling, preventing the engine from starting. I arrived at the shop and my first course of action was to crank the engine over and listen to it for clues of a mechanical failure and also to see if I could detect a fuel odor. The cranking speed appeared to be excessive and the engine sounded like it had low compression. It is no secret that these vehicles have timing chain issues. I did smell fuel at excuse me, I did not smell fuel at this time. I then connected my GM ND12 interface and Tech2 Win scan tool software to the DLC and monitored the following PIDs: cranking RPM, engine coolant temperature, throttle position, manifold absolute pressure and barometric pressure. Satisfied with these values, I moved on. I next consulted service information for a wiring diagram and firing order of the engine. I wanted to move quickly and get the most bang for my buck here. I decided to disable fuel via fuse removal and go in cylinder number one with my WPS 500X pressure transducer, current clamp, and PicoScope from Pico Technologies. I also placed an amp clamp around the positive battery cable to the starter motor for relative compression. I removed cylinder number one spark plug and found it was black and fuel fouled. I first cranked the engine over with nothing in cylinder one and of course cylinder number one cop unit disconnected. I wanted to try to clear any liquid fuel that may be in the cylinder. I then connected my scope, amp clamp and pressure transducer to the vehicle. I took a capture with the vehicle cranking. At just over 25 psi, it was obvious the cylinder had low compression. What stood out to me was the deep expansion pocket on this cranking waveform. Regarding a relative compression trace, I noticed that not all cylinder uh, RC 
bumps were even. I did not use an ignition sink on the capture. I used my in-cylinder channel as a sink, so to speak. Remember, I was going for speed and getting the most data in the shortest amount of time. Using the firing order and my in-cylinder sink, it wasn't pointing towards a particular bank or cylinder. I then turned my attention to the actual in-cylinder waveform. I isolated the waveform and magnified the waveform. I then added some cursors and could, and could see I had low 25 PSI of cranking compression and a deep expansion pocket. The expansion pocket was rounded as well. I like to see quick, sharp, sharp changes. I then decided to add some cursors to indicate 720 degrees of crankshaft rotation or one full engine cycle. I then wanted to see when exhaust valve opening occurred, which is called EVO. EVO was occurring at approximately 55 degrees before bottom dead center. I typically see these vehicles have EVO events in the range of 50 degrees before bottom dead center. I also compared this waveform with a known good waveform I acquired from a fellow tech that I trust. This was close enough for me. The leaning compression towers were an indication of compression loss as well. But remember, this vehicle was no doubt flooded with fuel. I considered the possibility of a restricted exhaust, but I ran some horizontal cursors along the waveform and saw close to 2.5 psi of exhaust back pressure while cranking. I should have seen pressure values near atmosphere or essentially zero psi of back pressure while cranking. I then proceeded to perform the same captures on the cylinder next to number one as a comparison, in this case cylinder number three, and I had the same results. Intake manifold design makes bank two in-cylinder acquisition nearly impossible. I felt very confident that this vehicle had a restricted exhaust causing the flooded engine, resulting in the no-crank, no-start scenario. I informed the shop owner of my findings. He put a tech right on the Acadia to unscrew the upstream oxygen sensor to confirm my findings. Within minutes, the Acadia roared to life and ran quite well with the exhaust restriction alleviated by the removal of the upstream oxygen sensors. At this point, I instructed the shop owner the exhaust needed to be thoroughly inspected and restricted components replaced, along with an oil change and fuel trim checks. A thorough road test to evaluate for any misfires or oil consumption issues that may have contributed to the restriction was also called for. I returned to the shop a couple of days later to diagnose another vehicle. I inquired about the Acadia and the shop owner told me they installed new catalyst and changed the oil and filter. I asked if I could do a follow-up on the vehicle and he obliged. I first looked at fuel trims at idle. They were within reason and so were fuel trims at 2000 RPM. I then revisited cylinder number one in cylinder compression and relative compression, cranking after disabling fuel. It was totally different from our original capture. Notice the lack of deep expansion pocket, no more leaning towers, and relative compression was much more even. Reinstalling the fuse for fuel, I wanted a running capture as well. It looks good, and notice how even the peaks are. The Acadio is back in action. A 2006 Ford van volumetric efficiency stuffiness. Our next example is a 2006 Ford van with a 5.4 liter engine and 206,000 miles. The complaint is a lack of power under load. I road tested the van and it performed as described. I had a pretty good feel where I was heading. I connected my Rotunda VCM2 and interface along with my Ford IDS to the DLC and decided to run a key on engine off self-test 
and the vehicle had no on-demand or continuous memory codes. This is not surprising since the shop that called me in to look at the vehicle had been working on the van and probably clear codes previously. I decided to look at a couple of scan data PIDs on a road test. During the road test, I wanted to look at load and enrichment under wide open throttle. The vehicle had low load percentage but did have the enrichment, so I was pretty confident that we were not dealing with a fuel issue such as a low fuel pressure or a bad MAPS sensor. The vehicle also didn't have that ignition misfire feel. Again, I had a pretty good idea of where I was heading. I just needed to confirm my suspicions in the shortest amount of time with positive proof. I decided to go in-cylinder with a pressure transducer. I typically will check one cylinder on each bank on these vehicles. I went first in cylinder number four on bank one after disabling spark and injector pulse for that cylinder. I will typically check at an idle and snap throttle. I zoomed in and added a horizontal measurement cursor. Again, I'm interested in the pressure rise just after EVO. Ideally, I should see atmospheric pressure at, at an idle and some low pressure during a snap throttle event. Here we see we have 1.6 PSI, uh, PSI at idle and 31.3 PSI on a snap throttle. I went in cylinder number 5 on bank 2 with the pressure transducer. Again, disabling spark and fuel injector for that cylinder, I repeated the idle and snap throttle events. Zooming in and adding a horizontal cursor measurement, a very different story was told for this bank's breathability. At an idle, atmospheric pressure was present just after EVO and about 3.5 PSI during a snap throttle event. This bank can exhale, whereas bank 1 is restricted. I informed the shop owner of my findings and showed him my results. I also advised him that catalysts usually don't clog on their own. There are many factors that can cause such failures, such as misfires, fuel trim issues, oil consumption, etc., and I will need to be, and I will need to be evaluated, especially on a high-mileage vehicle such as this one. I checked in with the shop owner a couple of days later. He informed me that he changed Bank 1 catalyst and inspected the rest of the exhaust system. A follow-up road test confirmed that the van had its power back. 2017 Ford Escape, when a solenoid circuit goes when a solenoid circuit code goes sideways. Cause and effect is one of the many daily occurrences we see in the automotive industry. Neglecting to change your oil or running your engine low on oil undoubtedly will have a negative impact on the engine's lifespan. The engine is a bad, the engine effect, wow, the effect is a bad engine. The cause was lack of maintenance. Well, what happens when we see strange cause and effect issues? Well, this is one such case. A 2017 Ford Escape 1.5 liter with 205,000 miles was being addressed. This vehicle is a security vehicle for a local school, so it sees its fair share of idle time. The shop had the vehicle for a check engine lamp illuminated. They scanned for TDCs and diagnosed the fault as a bad coolant bypass solenoid. They ordered one from the Ford dealer, installed it, and still had the same code. Then they installed a second one from Ford and visually checked the wiring. After the second installed part, they had the same issue, and that is when they called me. I inspected the vehicle, and it was in pretty good shape for the mileage it had. I ran a key-on engine-off self-test. The vehicle had a code P2681 on demand for a coolant bypass solenoid. After visually inspecting that the shop changed the correct solenoid, I went to work. Looking at the code description, the code was for an open circuit. 
Ford pinpoint testing is a series of checks. Check this for an open, check that for a short, etc. I needed to check this circuit fast and efficiently. Looking at the wiring diagram, I could not find an engine coolant bypass valve. I referred back to the pinpoint test. The engine coolant bypass valve is also called a transmission fluid heater coolant control valve. Lo and behold, I located that component by name in the wiring diagram. So, 12 volts is fed through fuse F34 in the battery junction box to circuit CBB34 to solenoid. The control side of the solenoid goes back from to the PCM connector C1551E, terminal 17. I was able to get to the solenoid. I unplugged the solenoid and checked terminal tension at the connector and was satisfied we did not have a spread terminals. I then re reconnected the solenoid and back probed the solenoid connector, first on the power feed wire and then on the control side key on, and I had battery voltage on both. This temporarily ruled out S110 being a potential issue for a complete break. After a visual inspection of the exposed harness, I had to gain access to the PCM and test at the PCM connector to confirm circuit integrity. Getting to the PCM on these vehicles is no easy task. The left front wheel and inner fender well have to be removed. I was then greeted by the plastic box forward of the wheel that houses the PCM. I noticed that the PCM harness going into the plastic PCM housing box was quite oily. I attributed this to the high mileage of the vehicle. I removed the cover and exposed the PCM. I took off the PCM connector and was surprised to find oil in one of the PCM connectors and the PCM itself. Now I knew why the harness was oily too. Referencing the wiring diagram again proved that this was connector C1551E, the very same connector that housed my problem circuit that I was chasing. I continued to check my problem circuit. I first verified that the circuit was complete. I reconnected my PCM connectors, turned the key on, and back probed circuit CE172 at the PCM connector C1551E and measured 12 volts. This verified a complete circuit. I disconnected the PCM connector again and powered up fuse F F34 in the battery junction box with a jumper wire. This was a necessary step because with the PCM disconnected, that fuse would not be supplied voltage with the key on, as the PCM power relay would not be activated with the PCM disconnected. I then front probed terminal number 17 at the disconnected C1551E PCM connector and grounded the circuit and listened for an audible click from our offending solenoid. A distinct click could be heard. I then checked the amp draw of the circuit when I actuated it. I was satisfied that the circuit was intact and not drawing too much amperage. I then reconnected the PCM connectors and reran my key on engine off self-test and still had a code P2681 on demand. This is always a wise step so I could have inadvertently moved a harness and temporarily fixed the issue. So it was pretty clear that this little escape would need a PCM, but where was this oil coming from? Looking at the pinout for C1551E, there were a couple of culprits. I was looking for components that spend their lives in oil. There was an engine oil level switch in both exhaust and intake cam sensors. I looked for an oil level switch and was never able to find one. I then looked at the cam sensors and hit pay dirt. The exhaust cam sensor connector was nice and dry. The intake cam sensor was wet with engine oil and there was a pool of oil in the sensor itself.
I've seen this happen before, folks, as a side note, that um, sensors can go bad, like it's measuring oil or coolant, but certainly oil. And what, what happened with this, and what he's probably going to describe here in a moment, is because most wiring harnesses, if they're made well, they have not only the wiring, but then they have an outer sheath. And it can very well be uh, surrounded with a rubber boot around the connector. So if oil is getting up through the actual connector and getting into that wiring sheath, it will go all the way up the wiring harness to wherever it's going to go. And in this case, it goes to, you know, he found it on the PCM, which, yes, it can contaminate the inside of the PCM because this oil is under pressure, okay? So it's being pushed into it. And I, I've, I've run across this before, so anyway, let's continue. This was the offender for the oil migration. Over the years, I have seen various liquids such as washer fluid, oil, and coolant end up in modules through capillary action. At times, they seem to defy gravity. Sometimes, it is quite bizarre. I advised the shop of my findings and gave some options. After discussing with the escape owner, they elected to change the cam sensor and pigtail. They hung the harness up for a couple of days to get rid of most of the oil in the harness. They cleaned this PCM connector and were going to get a Ford remanufactured PCM. This was the decision, this was the decision between the shop and the vehicle owner. A few days later, I arrived to program the remanufactured PCM. The harness seemed to be pretty dry and oil-free. I installed the remanufactured PCM. I programmed it, ran vehicle theft programming, and other setups as well. The vehicle ran well and had no more codes for the engine coolant bypass valve circuit. I have no doubt that the oil migration into the PCM caused this failure. It was indeed a strange case of cause and effect. With all of those factors applied, is there really anything we are not capable of properly diagnosing? Okay. So it can be done. Uh, you got to keep your eyes open and think your way through the problem, do testing. And based on those test results, you may change what you thought you were going to do as far as the next test and the next test. Uh, so you got to keep an open mind and, you know, roll with the punches, as they say. But, you know, you've got to read what's happening in front of you and what the car is trying to tell you. And then, you know, again, make decisions of what's the next test, what's the next step. It's not all just necessarily, well, read the fault codes and that's all you need to know. Okay. That's the beginning of the process, not the end. So, car repair can be an interesting uh, thing to do from a from a, a uh, way of making a living. So, anyway, I hope you got something out of that. Maybe appreciate a little bit more some of the weird things that can happen and some of the things that, you know, not just mobile diagnostic te te technicians. I mean, the reason that some shops will kind of give up and hand it over is because maybe the the people they have on on hand there, the employees they have, the technicians are, they may just not be that well versed or experienced, or they just really don't want to take the time to get in that involved into a repair, and so they they call a mobile diagnostic mobile diagnostic technician, and let him or her uh, deal with it. So there's not inherent nothing inherently bad about that it it you could say it says something about the shop but it's not necessarily a bad thing so anyway hopefully you got something out of that one again if you want to get a hold of me via uh, uh email it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com and uh or uh linkedin is brad's motor Works. so uh go from there with it 
I hope you enjoyed it, got something out of it. I hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. And thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you. And thank you again.